Hello, everyone. This is Kevin Finkel. Uh, we're here with our first ever episode of Magic the Final Frontier. On this podcast, we're going to be discussing Frontier, a format that plays cards from Magic 2014 forward, uh, and with major high-priced tournaments happening frequently in Toronto, Tokyo, and regional events across the world. Our hope is that this podcast can bring all these groups of regional Frontier lovers together with an online source, keeping you up to date with what is new, powerful, and interesting in the wonderful Frontier format. Let me go through some quick introductions with the people here. Hi, everyone. This is Matt Murdick. So I've played Magic since I was a kid, basically. Uh, mostly casual. But around, I guess, this time last year, Frontier really kicked off at Face, Face Games Toronto, which is where I play. Um, and for the past year, it kind of has been the place for competitive Frontier. Uh, I love the idea of it. I don't really like uh, the kind of play style of modern, I guess you could say. I, I don't like the kind of unfair combo-oriented nature. Um, and I don't really like that standard rotates. So Frontier was just a natural fit for me. Before I forget... I want to do a quick shout-out to Face-to-Face Games Toronto. Uh, they are hosting their final Frontier showdown on September 10th, and we'd love to see anyone who's in Toronto show up for that. This is Kevin Hanlon. I started playing Magic the Gathering in Cons of Tarkir, and I had a friend who introduced it to me as a draft format, and so my uh, my impression of Magic has always been a multicolor format, and I'm very much an enthusiast of three to four color Magic: The Gathering. So when Cons of Tarkir rotated out in Shadows Over Innistrad, I got severely disinterested in Standard, just because it it didn't have many three color decks, and I find two color and one color uh, Magic to be very limiting in terms of what I can accomplish. Uh, I think it, it makes a lot of decks very linear, even though there are colors that are naturally a, a little bit more versatile than others, especially green lately. Um, but I I started playing EDH as um, a response to cons rotating out of standard, and... When I found out about Frontier, I was like, holy crap, I can play Savage Knuckleblades and Siege Rhinos and all this stuff again. This is going to be amazing, and I fell in love with it right away. Um, So I'm a big fan of Limited. I'm a big fan of EDH, and uh, for the last, I would say probably since December of last year, I've been playing Frontier Online, and it's really exciting, and I've, I've... truly been enjoying watching the format and all of its metagame changes and yeah so that's uh that's where i'm coming from magically could you quick tell us a little something about the untapped frontier league yeah totally so i run the untapped frontier league and uh it's it's a recent development so basically we had this kind of like recurring frustration that i I know a lot of other frontier players have online where it's just like uh, you know, like, you, you post a game saying, like, this, these require Frontier cards and nobody knows what Frontier is, and so, like, you end up getting people who are just joining it and thinking they can bring their kitchen table decks, and, like, why can't I bring four Vault of Whispers to this game? Like, why are you telling me I can't do that? And so, you know, like, um, I noticed that there was an opportunity for a league to be had, and Frontier was kind of picking up speed. We had a really strong community with probably eight or ten like really frequent players who I found myself enjoying my games with the most, and we were all getting pretty tight. 
And so I was just like, hey, guys, let's formalize this. Like, we can have Swiss rounds and everything like that. And the Untap Open League started, and then we decided that we wanted to get more involved in Reddit. And that kind of played out like that. And so we've since really, really upped our presence on Reddit, and we're getting a lot of attention, and now, at this point, it seems as though the Untap Open League is becoming the premier online league for Frontier, which is really, really humbling, and it's awesome to have started all of that. And uh... Sorry, on that note, I want to jump in a little bit here, and just to say how excited I've been to kind of see this community coming in online together, um, because playing at face has been great. Um, so I mentioned earlier, it's it's kind of the competitive hub of Frontier, and kind of seeing that expand to the actual internet, where now, um, you know, in the past it's been tough to get competitive, high level games against just well built decks. You know, it's a, it's a lot of, um, I don't want to say junk decks, but you know, they're not they're not quite as well tuned as what I would be used to at face to face games. You know, um, so being able to jump into this league. And, and play some real um, kind of high-level games has been, it's been something awesome to do that you just couldn't do in the past online. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would agree that the Untap League is made up largely of spikes, and so we very much enjoy tuning our lists and making sure that they're as cutting-edge as possible and um, as fast as possible and can actually close out games quickly and have win conditions. That makes sense. All right, so we've got our Frontier Grinder, and we've also got our Online Master. Uh, and I'm Kevin Finkel. I'll be acting as the host for this first podcast. I'm just here to ask the tough questions to our Frontier experts and then keep us on track when they try and talk for just days and days answering them. Uh, personally, I've been playing Magic before I could even read. I had an older brother who played, so I would just I look to look at the pretty cards and things. Um, like a lot of players, I quit around Mirrodin and then came back in Cons of Tarkir. So that's really how I got into Frontier, is I've been playing just about all the sets that the Frontier sets are legal, and that's where I've really gotten into competitive magic. You guys ready to begin for our podcast for the day? Absolutely. I'm with you. Alright, so since today's first show, I thought it'd be best to start with a discussion of the Frontier meta, touching upon the best decks of the format right now. We're going to spend a good part of today's show going over deck lists that have already put up competitive results. And we have some lists to look at from two of the biggest places where Frontier is played right now, in Toronto, where Matt's from, and in Japan, where the uh, format started. We think the most important thing for our listeners is to get to know what is successful in Frontier right now. So, Matt, Kevin, you guys can leave your fraying sanities and your mechanized production thing. Leave them at home for today. We'll get to those in another episode. Without further ado, we're going to kick things off by looking at the results of the largest recent tournament out of Japan, which was the God of Frontier Challenge at Haruya. I think I got that right. Counting down the top eight here, the tournament was won by Matsuda Yukio's UB Control List. Um, so we're, I've got a, quite a few deck lists we're going to be going over today. I'll try and run through them quickly, and we won't go into specifics of the lands, the sideboards, except where it's really relevant. The full lists will be available in the podcast notes, and I expect we'll be able to ep- devote an episode to sideboards soon. You can find us at Twitter at MTG Frontier. Uh, on Reddit at r slash MTG Final Frontier, on Instagram at MTG underscore Frontier, or on YouTube, MTG The Final Frontier. Jumping into this blue-black control list, Kevin, can you take us through this one? Yeah, totally. Um, so I, uh, I was taking a look at this list, and it's a, it's a really interesting one. I, specifically, something that stuck out for me is the use of essence extraction, 
And I noticed that after this list dropped that the the thing to test was um, where and how many of Essence Extractions would you run in blue-black control, right? And specifically, someone just spanked me with it today. Um, and I wasn't even running an aggro list, but it, it seems to fit into this really awesome spot in the meta. Um... I I want essence extraction basically like when I look at where it fits in this list uh it speaks a lot to where I would previously previously run collective brutality like it's it's a removal spell that gains life and um yeah I I'm really blown away by that obviously the top end of this list is really good you've got a full place of torrential gear Sorry, before we jump into the top end I want to actually talk a bit about more about essence extraction and mostly yeah, how much I hate it in the main board like yeah gaining life is great um, but at three mana it's just I have a really hard time running three mana blanket kill spells and this isn't even a blanket kill spell Um and kind of its inclusion in this list says to me that it was just an Atarka Red, Mono White Humans, uh, Jeskai Flyers meta. I don't think this list has juice versus, uh, let's say, Abzan Aggro. Um, I, I just yeah, don't see it, enough it ways... Yeah, definitely isn't taking out Rhinos. Yeah, I don't see enough ways to deal with Rhinos or Anafenza, you know, a, a Dramoka's Command on any of your, you know, uh, three toughness creatures is going to be a little tougher. Um, it does have Grasp of Darkness, but it just... I don't see enough unconditional removal that I want Essence Extraction mainboard, especially not when I'm sideboarding Kalidus. I feel like Kalidus is definitely mainboard material in a meta where you want to run Essence Extraction mainboard, you know? Yeah, I mean, I definitely see that. And uh, I I don't know if you've been following the Hararuya events as much as I have, but I've noticed a general kind of... Um, drop in popularity of Abzan. It seems like they're going for, like, fast is good so far. So, like, a lot of the previous, um, like, Hararuya tournaments that had, like, 50-plus players, um, it, it was, like, three or four Tarka Red lists in Top Cut, and so I think that as far as essence extraction goes, like that was definitely a meta call. I don't know how that sits with you. And, and I agree, absolutely, it was a meta call. Um, I, I'm just saying that I think in a more uh, developed meta game, um, there's a little more. You have to slow down a little and be a little more efficient with your mana. That, that's that was my main point. Um, anyway, I'm happy to continue on to the uh, top end of this deck, which has a, a pretty spicy piece. Yeah. I uh, I fell in love with this right away because, like, this card is the reason that I, like, fell in love with the format, basically. Like, a full playset of Torrential Gearhulk. Holy cow. Like, four Torrential Gearhulk, four Dig Through Time. This guy is, like, all in. All in on the blue in this deck. And it's just, it's amazing. I'm, like, truly blown away by it. Plus, like, he can get an early Torrential Gearhulk out of, like, his graveyard with Liliana the Last Hope. It's it's awesome. Yeah, I think, personally, I'm, I'd am i be off for Torrential Gearhulk. It feels, and especially the Silent Guard of the Drifting Death, like, it just feels like so much top-end 
for a, a meta where you're preparing so much for a Tarka Red. You know, I, I feel like and, a lot of those slots could have just been Kalidas um, and lowered the curve a little bit because there are a lot of games as a control list where you just don't get the opportunity to hit six mana. You know, like once you hit six mana as a control list, I kind of feel like you're going to win whether you're slamming Gear Hulks or Asylum Guard the Drifting Death or just Kalidas followed by a removal spell, you know? Because Atarka Red and the Zagrodex just don't have the gas to keep going. If you stop them, you stop them and you win. Yeah, I agree that like a well-timed removal spell is just like murder for a lot of Atarka Red lists. Um, oftentimes against a control list like this, they'll board in, what is it, Outpost Siege? So that they can start using the obligatory draw effects of like exile this card. Chandra's a really popular one as well right now for like, you know, obligatory draw where it says exile this card and you can cast it. Um, I think we will get to some of the more well-adapted lists of, like, control versus aggro a little later in our discussion of this uh, top cut. But, yeah, like, uh, I'm definitely, like... I, I've i had a really, really hard time recently running a full playset of Torrential Gear Hulk. Like, I've, I've just steadily, like, as the format has gone on, had to trim and trim and trim how many Gear Hulks I'm running. Yeah, I really agree with that. Um, and I, I think another thing is, for me, just hard casting Silent Guard of the Drifting Death is just such a scary thing to do. You're casting, or using six mana at sorcery speed. That just seems like suicide to me. Um, as much as it is a pretty cool card when it when it swings and kills all their minions, I just I feel like for six mana, there's better ways to kill all of their tokens. Um, I mean, for less mana than that, there's great ways to kill all their tokens. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. If you, I mean, for one less mana, you can kill everything. So, like, for one less mana, you can cast uh, Crux of Fate and and destroy all non-dragon creatures. So, like, yeah. Absolutely. And, and looking at this list, I think, in fact, the biggest thing that stands out to me in this list um, is blue-black versus Grixis. I think the opportunity cost of going Grixis here is really low. Uh, just it even has four Bloodstained Mire already, uh, so we can easily splash a couple red lands with like almost no opportunity cost. Uh, the upside is being able to have K Command, which is a beating versus the aggro decks that like to run, you know, Smuggler's Copter. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's just such a versatile. It's easily the top one of the top three cards in the format. No questions asked. Yeah, especially in a vehicles format, I'm finding that I'm really, really hot on Colhan's command right now, just because like it's so often. I mean, nine times out of ten, it's a two for one. You know what I mean? And it it's got play against control lists. It's got play against aggro lists. It's got play against Marvel. It's got play against Sahili. So it's like, uh, it's most often just great. You know, easily easily one of the top three cards in the format if not the best card in the format. It's really good. Uh, the second thing that opens up, I think, is because we were talking about board wipes, is Hour of Devastation, which I think is a lot better positioned than, uh, for example, Crux of Fate right now. Uh, mostly because it just... It hits Planeswalkers. Which is only really important for Abzan, right? You you need to be able to do that five damage, kill their Rhinos, and kill their Gideons. And kill Gideon. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So that's that's the big list that it's for, and it also just happens to be good against every other Agro list. You know, it's it's still just a five mana board wipe. Yeah, I think I think that right now Hour of Devastation is like properly apprised to like be the board wipe that Frontier needs. Whereas, like, Fumigate and Crux of Fate at that same mana cost have been, like, trying to hit that and trying to, like, get people into it and pull people into that color for, like, a really long time. I think Hour of Devastation just does it. But, um... I think that largely depends on what kind of deck you're playing. I think for this style of control deck where, you know, they're not playing jaces they're not playing they have two liliana so it's like that's the only thing it's really going to kill for them right yeah i mean it's not going to kill torrential gear hulk and it's not going to kill salamgar so. yeah um compared with um fumigate for saheli i think is a lot better because it helps to stabilize their life total uh giving them more time to kind of dirtle right uh and they have a bunch of planeswalkers that they don't necessarily want to wrath off the board so i think fumigate's definitely the right call there all right so you guys sound a little bit torn on this list um is this a list that you'd want to play? No, hard no. Hard no. Uh, and the main reason for that... And, and the main reason for that... Um, and to, to back up, actually. In his meta, it was clearly the right call, right? Uh, it, yeah, if you look down this list, it's like seven aggro lists. Um, and another list that I'm, I'm going to trash talk later. So we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, spoiler alert. Not a well-tuned Saheeli list. I'm going to say the same, but yeah, totally. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get to that. Because, I mean, both of us are, are like pretty well acquainted with Sahili. Personally, I'm a big enthusiast of the deck. Uh, Matt's got a bit of a different opinion on uh, where it is, and we'll try to keep our opinions pretty Let's well. Let's call it what it is. Let's call it a hate <laughs> owner. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get to that uh, in just a moment here. Uh, the next list, the number two placement um, by Mitsuyasu Yuki. I'm going to butcher probably all of these Japanese names. Uh, this is an Atarka Red list, which is what we were just talking about. A um, whole bunch of one-drop creatures, a bunch of prowess creatures, all of those non-creatures, and lots of burn. What can you guys tell me? Is this pretty much the stock Atarka list? Yeah, this is pretty pretty stock list. I don't really have a lot to say about it because it's just such a normal list. I don't necessarily like... It, I don't think it's the best Atarka Red list, but there's also nothing wrong with it. Um, and, and the only reason I say it's not the best is because I think right now I want to be on Matt Mealing's Dark Atarka list, which is a list we're going to get yeah. to later in the podcast. Uh, the one, Definitely. Yeah, the one interesting thing I'm seeing in the sideboard here is the Hostile Desert, which I, I just think is a, an interesting include in the sideboard rather than mainboard. Yeah, um, it's weird that he put it in... Like, I definitely look at uh, Hostile Desert as... Um, like I, I don't know what your position on the card has been so far, but in my opinion, it's the best manland that we have in the format, aside from um, Smoldering Marsh. Not Smoldering Marsh. Um, what's the black white one? Uh, shambling, uh, shambling vent. Yeah, shambling vent. Right. So shambles is like hands down the best manland in the format. But if you're not in colors that can allow that and you want, like, that kind of pressure aggressively, then I think that Hostile Desert is the land that you go with. For anyone I wondering... I it's really good. Sorry, the, uh, the Hostile Desert, that's the uh, the land out of Hour of Devastation that can turn into a 3-4 creature for the cost of exiling a land from your graveyard. It, I do believe it's to exile a land from your graveyard. It is, yeah. yeah two, two mana. And it's a 3-4, which is a really respectable butt on a body. Like, it's, it's like, nice to be able to block... Then tap it, activate a thing, 
and then, like, take out a creature and have countered a spell or something like that, you know? Like, it's it's a really, like, effective way to um, to run a man land. Like, it's, it's a man land that likes to block and can also deal three damage. So I think the, the major play here uh, is when you're boarding in your Chandras for uh, control or kind of slower grindy matchups, I think you bring in the hostile desert just to up your curve or up your uh, land count a little bit to account for the Chandra. Definitely. And I like that he's running three Chandra instead of outpost siege. I think that Chandra definitely is way more versatile in what she can accomplish. Absolutely. Um, and like is definitely like against control list. This is what I would want to be running. I also think that it's worth mention. Um, I don't know how you feel about Abbot of Carol Keep in uh, Atarka Red, but personally, I've always been kind of lukewarm on Abbot. I agree. Um, full playset of Abbot is kind of bold, and it seems as though I mean this player definitely knew what he was doing, um, but. I mean, in a Tarka Red, I want to have a really, really heavy concentration of one-drops and going... Like, it, it looks as though, like, it looks as though uh, Mitsuyasu decided to cut a Zergo in order to get up to a full playset of Abbots, and uh, that's definitely, like, that's not the decision I would have made, but, like, evidently, like, it worked. So maybe it's the appropriate meta decision? I don't know. I don't think Abbot of Carol Keep is necessarily wrong, but I, I don't think it's your best possible fit. You know, like, it's not bad. It's it's a solidly not bad Atarka Red card. That's kind of all there is to it. I, I'm never going to chew you out for having Abbot of Carol Keep, but it's probably not your, your like, number one power pick. Yeah, definitely not. Um, it's nice when, like, you want to be able to, like, have... How do I put this? Uh, card selection. Like, do I want to play a land this turn? Okay, I just exile the land. Cool. I can play that. Like, the fact that Abbott says you can play the card as opposed to casting the card is definitely an advantage. Definitely. Anyway, I, I don't have anything really more to say about this. It's it's just a standard Atarka Red list. Uh, if you're playing the format, you kind of know how Atarka Red works. It goes really fast and you die. So... The, the one other thing I do want to say about it before we move on is that it speaks to um, the Atarka Red that is going wide rather than the Atarka Red that is going tall. And the fact that, uh, that this gentleman decided to run one Become Immense as opposed to um, like a playset or anything like that, like that is, uh, that's something that's worth mentioning and you know, like it's, it's something that will come up with the rest of these Atarka li Red lists, I'm sure. Yeah, back in the day, uh, before uh, Aether Revolt launched, we saw a lot more of the Gotal lists. Uh, but the reality is, Fatal Push just makes it a lot riskier on the Gotal list. You know, even with the, uh, I can't remember the name of the card, but it's plus two, plus two hexproof, blossoming defense. Blossoming defense. Thank you. Um, even with that card as backup, you just don't always have it, and you don't always have the mana. And with the Gotal list, you kind of want to just combo out as fast as you can. Uh, so I think. The inclusion of Fatal Push really kind of pushed that style of Atarka Red out in favor of the Go Wide. Definitely. One more question about this deck. Would you say that this is probably the fastest aggro deck in the format right now? Uh, the archetype Atarka Red? Absolutely. There's no deck that will kill you faster. Hands uh, down. And, oh, actually, no, i got to wait to tell that story because we haven't got to Mealing's list yet. Um, <laughs> All right. But, yeah, <laughs> definitely it's the fastest, uh, the fastest kills in the format. Uh, it's not always, like, the most... Uh, how do I say this? It's not necessarily the most well-rounded aggro deck. And it has, certainly has some bad matchups. But uh, 
if you're just gonna want to, it's Sahili matchup is so amazing. Like, yeah. oh my god, get off Sahili if you're in an Atarka Red meta. Just I think there are options uh, as Sahili into Atarka Red, but we'll get to that. I'm gonna move on to the third place list here, which was uh, in Soul Aggro, uh, just in blue red by Ishigami Raito. So uh, this deck, it's just in blue red. It's taking kind of all the good cards from Kaladesh, the artifact cards from M15, a little bit of Origins thrown in there, and he's running a bunch of cheap creatures with Ornithopter, Bomat Courier, Hangerback Walker, Thopter Engineer, and then he's sticking in Soul Artifact on there. Um, he's also got Smuggler's Copter. He's got Ghostfire Blade. What do you guys kind of think about this deck and this archetype? Cool. Um, I always, like, when I looked at the way that Aether Revolt was going, I took a look at Metallic Rebuke, and I was like, this is the deck. Like, in Soul Aggro is the deck that wants Metallic Rebuke. You know what I mean? Like, it's just running, like, a bunch of artifacts that it wants to turn into creatures that are 5-5 indestructible that can kill you. And so, like, having, like, flexibility on what those artifacts can do is huge. So being able to turn them on with um, with improvise is really, really cool. And um, I so I really like the fact that Metallic Rebuke was an include. Um, the interaction of Smuggler's Copter and Soul Artifact is really cool. And, like, honestly, like... It looks like this was, and I don't know what your take on it is, Matt, but it looks like this is like a post-Pro Tour Hour of Devastation in Soul List. Like, it, it really speaks to, like, this is what Ramyanop Red informed the aggro list to be able to do, you know? Yeah, I think I agree with that. Uh, I kind of got to say, overall, I just I don't think in Soul aggro is a good archetype to be on. Uh, I think it's maybe tier two or tier three. There's just so many things that can go wrong for Insoul Aggro when you're kind of setting up two for ones for your opponent, or, or even worse, uh, if they happen to be playing, you know, Colligon's uh, Command, one of the best cards in the format. It, it has the speed where, yes, you know, it, it can go very fast and do some unfair things, and it steals some wins. Uh, but but at the end of the day, I don't, I just, I don't see it being a tier one deck. Uh, so that kind of colors my ability to look at this list and say good, bad, whatever. You know, it's it, it's just not something that I've seen uh, see a lot of success at face. So that's kind of where my opinion of it comes from. As someone who's like often mainboarding Dramoka's command, it really surprises me that this lost to uh, or that this won over the Bant Human deck, which had for Dramoka's Command in the 75, because, um, like, I have been really, 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 really hot on Dramoka's Command since the format launched, and, like, it's it's just against the enchantment-based decks, Dramoka's has always felt unfair. I also look out for Dramoka's Command and other ways for them to kill these artifacts and the rest of these lists here, but we're going to move on to uh, list number four here, which is a Jeskai deck, kind of a Jeskai Flyers, Jeskai Burn, run by Mikami Oshiro. Um, he's running just you know a bunch of one-drops. He's got the Disruptive, three drops in Reflector Mage, Spell Queller. He's got Mantis Rider as a beater, um, all red removal with Fiery Impulse, a Braid Lightning Strike. What do you guys think of this kind of list? So the first thing that actually stands out to me about this list is the three main, or sorry, three mainboard Soulfire Grandmaster, and that just, it, I mean, in my meta that would be a lot, right? Um, only because it just it's not, it doesn't do necessarily what an aggro list wants. 
it's not bad. It's a two-two bear with lifelink. has has a really strong ability in the late game, um, but the reality is that Just Guy Flyers just doesn't want to get to late game. You know, they they want to kill you way before that. Uh, obviously, for this particular meta game, it's very Atarka Red, Just Guy Flyers heavy. It's all aggro, so it, it's the right choice here. I just think uh, outside of Japan, where we're not seeing quite so much of a heavy aggro skew, uh, it's it's probably a, a softer spot in the deck. So I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to the use of Soulfire Grandmaster because I'm very much opposed to your opinion on that. Um, and the reason that I'm at that spot is because uh, specifically a list with three Soulfire Grandmaster mainboard. Uh, just made it into top cut in our uh, in our untap open league, and NASCAR Father, one of our users, is really really masterful with it, and I've just been watching it and been absolutely blown away by. It. And I know like he's using he's using a dark Jess guy control list. However, like the things that it synergizes with is like a really long list, and it's not just its late game rebound ability. Like it really is like. All right. If we're gonna race, let me show you how I'm gonna win that race. Like, I'm gonna put a two drop down on the board, and I'm gonna kill your guy, and then I'm gonna gain two life. Like, it it really. I was lukewarm on it at the beginning of our season, and now I'm just like blown away by what it can accomplish. Um, it's a target for so many like it's a possible target for so many of the like recursion spells that exist that say uh like this you can get a creature back or a permanent back with two cmc or less that can get Soulfire grandmaster back and that's amazing like the lifelink on a stick is really cool being able to like get a new dimension out of your burn spells is really cool i'm really really hot on using Soulfire grandmaster and honestly like talking about like a deck that top ends on turn three like having something really really good to do on turn two is awesome so and that's not necessarily always going to be cracking a clue i guess the uh back end of that argument for me is if i want to race I'd much rather have Seeker of the Way, and I'd rather be able to lower my land count. Because you see, this particular list is at 23 lands, and it tops out at what? Three mana? That seems... Sorry, yeah, mana, yeah. yeah. So that seems like a lot of lands for a, a deck that tops out at three mana. Uh, I, I'd much rather have a playset of Seeker of the Way, um, which you add prowess to the lifelink ability instead of, uh, you know, the kind of late game value recursion. And then you just have more more pure gas in your deck. <laughs> that makes some sense. If there was uh, if there was four Soulfire Grandmaster, I'd totally agree with you. I think that the debate right now in like our league is do you run two or do you run three, assuming that you're running Soulfire Grandmaster. So Alright, so our uh, experts are a little bit torn on Soulfire Grandmaster, so that's something we'd love to hear from you guys. What do you think? Are you pro Soulfire Grandmaster against it? But uh, either way, I'm going to look real quick here at number five list. We've got a Tarka Red, another deck, um, this one run by Fukugawa Takayui in fifth place. I'm going to kind of speed through the rest of the top eight here. Nothing too much about this uh, Tarka Red list. The only real change, he's got one less Wild Slash, one more of Reckless Bushwhacker. You guys think there's anything uh, perfect to talk about there? Yeah, I think the the only thing I'd want to speak to is the one of Reckless Bushwhacker. It kind of speaks to like the first aggro list that came out, which was like goblins in this format. And like debatably that was like a very, very one dimensional list. I like that um 
that Fukugawa did not go over the top on committing to reckless bushwhackers, but like having an awesome additional way to finish out the game is really, really. I mean, that's cool. definitely true. I think reckless bush bushwhacker is where I would want to be with some of those abbots of Carol Keep we wanted to replace earlier. Uh, but but it's a small change. It's a very minute change, and the fact that he's only running one of it uh, speaks to how much how, how important it was. All right, well, then I'll uh, jump to the number six list, which was a human bent company list run by uh, Jeremy Dezani. Somehow that, that one's actually still hard to pronounce, even though that's an English name here. Um, so this is a collected company list. We've got a lot of low-cost creatures, ability to grab them with a collected company. If you play standard, modern, pretty much anything, you know how that works. Um, he's running Thraben Inspector, Glorybound Initiate, Lamphole Pacifist, Reflector Mage, Renegade Rallier, and Thalia's Lieutenant, who just puts all these counters on all of them. So I just actually want to jump in there. Um, when I first saw this list, I wasn't super hot on it. Uh, but apparently MTG Goldfish uh, miss... Uh, what's the word here? Uh, apparently the Glorybound Initiates in this list are actually a Thalia's Lieutenant. Which makes uh, a lot way more around. sense to me. The original it's list the had in, um, Thalia Heretic Cathar listed as a four of. Those were actually supposed to be Thalia's Lieutenant, I believe. Oh, wait, so there's no Thalia Heretic Cathar in here in this list? There is no Thalia Heretic Cathar in this list. There's the one oh, in the holy moly. So there's... Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So um, when one of my fellow league mates and I... Um, I already talked about him, NASCAR. Uh, anyone who's been following the Untap Open League is probably f- pretty familiar with NASCAR Father. Um, anyway, uh, when we took a look at like this list the first time, it was just like... Four Thalia Heretic Cathar seems like a lot, right? Like, four of a legendary creature in the first place is usually a bad idea. Um, like, even, like, Inoffenza in the Abs and Aggro lists is, like, really, really risky to run as a four of because, like, if you draw two in your opening hand, you're just like, hey, I guess I'll just wait to cast this. Um, and, like, so we tested it with the four Thalia Heretic Cathar, and what was really, really interesting was like, all right, we know that this is a human list. It has to have like Thalia's Lieutenant, but like having a lot of Thalia's in the main board felt so right against Sahili specifically. Like it felt really, really good to have a lot of them. I I actually agree. So I think three is the right number though. Like it's, yeah, three is absolutely the right number, but like it's kind of like this happy accident where it's like prior to this, I would not have considered running that many Thalias in the main board. And it's like, I, I was looking at it and I was like, well, when you're right, you're right. You know, like this guy wanted to run four Thalia. And it's just like, all right, uh, so I'll try it. And it worked really well. So like... We ended up changing, like, the balance of, like, two drops to accommodate. Yeah, I think I'd like a few more Jace as well, uh, and maybe maybe one less Glorybound Initiate. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's kind of a standard list. Uh, no real surprises. Surprise yeah, definitely here. not. It's just straight-up human synergy. This is a real deck in the format. This isn't, like, some rogue thing that they're trying out here for trying to do the human synergy. This is, like, a real competitive deck in Frontier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I would say um, the thing that, like, changed this deck the most in recent, like, sets coming out was the inclusion of Renegade Rallier, and it's, like, absolutely just something that, oh, man, the the ways that 
Renegade Rally or in Tireless Tracker and, like, Thraven Inspector all, like, interact with each other are just mesmerizing. Like, yeah, truly I agree. awesome. Uh, I think it's probably high tier two right now. I, I've seen it pushed out of the meta a little bit uh, by Abzan Agro and Sahili uh, at face. Uh, in particular, the list running a lot of Tireless Trackers. As I, I found, they just haven't had the time to get their Tireless Trackers rolling. Uh, and, and they get kind of outvalued uh, by those two lists. I mean, it's hard to beat the Sahili list on value, and we'll probably yeah, talk about yeah, that I would a think little so. later. But. Yeah, I've got one more, and then we'll go to a Sahili list. So uh, list number seven, seventh place in this tournament, was uh, Tsuchiya Mihoko. Uh, he was running a mono red, so not a Tarka red, but mono red. Pretty much the same one drops. Um, he's got a few cards kind of that we'd normally see in the side deck and the main deck. He's got Hazaret as well as Chandra. What is he kind of gaining by dropping the green from this deck and going for Mono Red instead? Uh, well, he gets to run Collective Defiance. Um, and I think that it kind of hones in on... Okay, um, so you you see the Hazarets, you see the Reckless Bushwhackers in the creature base. Um, and I think that this kind of speaks to um, the the old, like the the early frontier like metagame where running a goblins list was like really hot at the time, and kind of like is a callback to that while also shouting out to um, Raminop Red in standard with the Hazarets. I don't know what your take is. Uh, so I think the biggest takeaway I have from this is the land base, which again is is basically Raminop Red from uh, standard. I think the truth is, like, you can kind of just play any red deck wins, and they kind of all do the same thing. Uh, I think the best version is, is again, Matt Mealing's Dark Atarka, which has a little bit of black and a little bit of green in it. But I think that the differences between the red deck win decks are, are really kind of small, and they all kind of do the same thing. So I'm, I'm not really seeing anything surprising here. I think it's probably a top-tier deck. It, it, it's not, a, not very different from Atarka. All right. Well... Finally, we've been trying to talk about it. Last place uh, in the tournament, in eighth place, we had a Sahili combo neck by uh, Nishihara Hiroki. Um, so, Sahili Rai, Felidar Guardian, that makes the cat combo. This one, it's got a bunch of one of. I see one Tireless Tracker, one Whirler Virtuoso, an Arborback Stomper, a Glorybringer, a Chandra, an Eldritch Evolution, a Manglehorn, all in the main deck here. Um, and then some of the value creatures we normally see. Reflector Mage, Rogue Refiner, Elvish Mystic, which is a change, Smuggler's Copter, Harness Lightning, Oath of Nyssa, and Elder Deep Fiend. So it's kind of all over the place, but it's still Sahili. It's power. so all over the place. I, I'm not going to lie here or sugarcoat this. This is, this is a bad Sahili deck, which is a testament, which is a testament is to the power bad. of Sahili combo in this format, that it was able to top eight, what was this, a 60-person event? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, definitely. It was, I think it was, I read like 86 or 76 or something like that in, um, yeah, it, it was something like 86. Truth be told, I don't know, I don't know that I'm actually running for Rogue Refiner in my optimized Sahili list. I don't think I would. Uh, I'm just saying like there's, I think Sahili really wants to lean on Fumigate uh, and just wrath you off the board over and over again. The thing I see about this list is it's very all in on Sahili combo. So if they have a way to just stop it, you know, if they just... Authority of the consoles, uh, I think you just lose. Like you don't have the raw grind that a lot of other Sahili lists have. Because like other Sahili lists, 
they basically use the pressure of the combo to build board state while you have to hold up a response or lose the game. Right, exactly. I think that that's definitely, like, the the thing that, like, sets the deck ahead is that now, as opposed to, like, the early metagame where, like, everyone was kind of trigger figuring out, like, how do we make this combo work? Like, now it's like, all right, the way that you do it is you have a really oppressive... Not necessarily oppressive, but, like, an, a fair game that you're playing throughout where it's like all right i'm gonna ramp and also build board presence and like go throughout this whole thing and like set up my mana base so that i have all of my colors which is like really greedy it's like a four color deck all of the time and like throughout this whole process like there's the the incumbent threat like the incipient threat incipient threat of like if you don't leave mana up and i get to seven mana or six mana, like, yeah. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Uh, and again, the big thing I see here is that just that this deck just hard loses the second you have, like, a stop on Sahili combo. You know, Trespasser's Curse, Authority of the Consoles, uh, they don't have a lot of removal. So yeah. if you just land a Thalia or an Archangel of Tithes, whatever, uh, I, I don't see a way for this deck to win. Yep. Uh, I do want to point out the two Elder Deep Fiend as just, like, a really stylish way to force the combo. Redis, yeah, it's super it fun. I, I love it as a concept. I just, I don't think this list is good. I like it, it. It almost doesn't matter because it's just it's not. The rest of the list is kind of whatever, you know. I think that this was probably like, and I I really don't want to sound like degrading to this player, but like if I was to like hand a deck to someone coming into the format who had, like, recently been disenfranchised from Standard, I would be like, here, try Sahili Combo. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. All right, so that's it for our Haruyuya Top 8. Uh, now it's on to what everybody's been waiting for. We have some never-before-released results from last month's Toronto North America Frontier Championships. We here on Final Frontier are very pleased to be the first to release what should be a great look into the competitive Frontier meta. And once again, we're going to have full deck lists, sideboards. They'll be available on our Twitter, at, on Reddit, at r slash mtgfinalfrontier. So I'm going to jump into this top eight list. In first place, finishing the list, we had Abzan Vehicles, piloted by Matthew Hoffman. So this list, it's Abzan Aggro, but it's got an artifact theme and a very low curve. There's four of the Toolcraft Exemplar, um, two Thraben Inspector, Warden of the First Tree, and it's got all artifacts to curve out on two with Exemplar. So it's got Smuggler's Copter, it's got a Heart of Kirin, Walking Ballista, Hangerback Walker, and then rounding out the threats, they've got Thalia, they've got Anifens of the Foremost, and just two Siege Rhino, and then Planeswalkers in Gideon and a Soren Solemn Visitor. So for removal from the deck, they're using Fatal Push, Jermoka's Command, and an Absan Charm, and then they've got 23 lands, including Spire of Industry. Now I want to go into your opinions, but the first thing I want to ask, you've been talking about how Toronto is probably the most competitive place that Frontier is being played right now, and this was the biggest tournament there recently, and here's the first place list. So is this the best deck in Frontier right now, or was this kind of just the best deck for this meta, or do you think you just kind of got lucky, hit the right matchups? What do you guys think here? I think that's a hard question. This is definitely a tier one deck, uh, no, no doubt about it. Um, saying it's the best deck or or calling it out as, as you know, the number one deck I think is a bit presumptuous. Uh, and I think it's also worth noting that because it took place on the weekend of GP Toronto, 
we actually lost quite a few of our regular frontier guys to uh, the main event at GP Toronto. Uh, so it, it's possible the competition was maybe a little less stiff uh, than was typical, but I don't want to shit on this list. I think it's definitely a great list. And I think we've waited a long time for like a vehicles list to kind of materialize. Right. Uh, and I think basically what it boils down to is when vehicles was in standard, the best removal was in Mardu. In Frontier, the best removal is in Abzan. It's Fatal Push, it's Dramocus yeah, Command, it's Abzan Charm, and it's Murderous Cut. The fact that Abzan Charm is a removal spell that also doubles as a draw spell is just so impressive, and then sometimes you just incidentally end up putting counters on stuff. Like, I mean, you want to talk about like a format-defining card. Like, Abzan Charm is so good! And, like... I I was really really blown away when I saw this list. I don't know. I I'm with uh, I'm with Matt on this. It's so fresh that I can't say whether or not this is like the best deck in the metagame. However, um, I'm really really excited to try it. I've been really holding back on trying it just because I don't want to spoil any of these lists. I haven't wanted to spoil any of these lists for a lot of the players on untap who are part of the league and like they would get super super curious because vehicles is so hot in the league right now and like seeing an absent vehicles list would be like major major boner for a lot of players specifically i'm talking about musi specifically i'm talking about uh glasses who are both in top cut right now with vehicles lists for our season and uh this has me really excited. The density of one drops is just super impressive, and I've been talking about um, about a vehicles list lately that would feature Warden of the First Tree, just because it gives you so much flexibility on what you can do with your mana. And um, I, uh, yeah, I, I like this list a lot. I think that it speaks a lot to the multiple angles that you can take on an aggressive strategy, and um, having trimmed down on. Siege Rhinos seems to have been... Uh, and one thing I kind of want to call out here, too, um, as kind of like a general meta shift that we've seen in Toronto is, and you see it a lot in this list, is the tendency to go leaner and leaner on your decks. So it's almost more of a modern deck building style where, you know, the mana has to count. Um, you can't be dirtling and, you know, running four Siege Rhinos, curving them into Goblin Dark Dwellers, and it's just... If you're playing five drops, you have to have a damn good reason. Even playing more than a couple four drops, you know, it's it's just the tendency to go leaner and leaner, just like modern lists. That makes some sense. Way to call out my <laughs> list, man. <laughs> so there's no uh, wingmate rocks in here for a reason. So yeah, uh, exactly. What do you think? This list against the winning Haruya list, who do, would you put your money on between those two? This list, nine times out of ten. Absolutely, Absolutely. this list. Yes, definitely. All right, well, I'm going to go on to uh, the second place list, which was Abzan Agro, piloted by Lucas Morel. Um, This is another flavor of Abzan Agro, getting rid of the artifact theme, but they've got Elvish Mystic as a way to speed up the deck, which you were just talking about. It's all about being fast out of the gate here. So they've got four Mystic, four Warden. Their twos are Scrap Heap Scrounger, Grim Flayer, Smuggler's Copter, and he has a few more three drops with Thalia and Anafenza, and then a full Forge Siege Rhino. Deck rounded out with two Gideon, three Dramokas Command, three Abzan Charm, and a couple Collective Brutality. Um, it's a little bit of a different take, but the two decks have a lot in common. What are kind of the pros and cons between the two of them? 
So this is your standard Abzan Agro list. Like it's almost card for card exactly what Abzan Agro does. It's just uh, kind of the most value creatures and the most value removal. Uh, you can maybe like splash remove or maybe uh, change up the removal suite a little bit. You know, Fatal Push is fine. Um, a murderous cut would work. Uh, but it, it's there's nothing too surprising. Uh, overall, I do think four Gideon allies and a card is the right call. It's just it's that good a card. It goes in every strategy, and it's good against every deck. Yeah, I I really like the the heavier use of Abzan Charm here, and I agree that um, that Fatal Push probably has a spot in this deck. But I understand going with higher creature density instead, and going with a removal spell in Dromoka's command that speaks to that high creature density. All I mean when I say Fatal Push, I think we cut down one of the Abzan Charm and maybe one of the Dromoka's command. Uh, I, I think Fatal Push is just better positioned against a Tarka Red, Mono White, uh, and even uh, Black Green Scales, which have been big at face. I, I don't think this is wrong, though. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to trash on the deck. I just think, at the end of the day... The removal suite's kind of whatever. Like it, the the difference is small, right? Like at the end of the day, you want to be slamming rhinos. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not about the removal; it's about the creatures for sure. All right, I'm going to move on to our list that I know that we've had someone waiting for. This is Darka Tarka, piloted by Matt Meeling, came in third place for the list. So this is a Tarka right, this Red. Is the one. Do, do you just want to take it away? Sorry, I I I cut you off there. I thought you were done. Uh, do you want to start that again? Oh, no, that's fine. Um, so it's an Atarka Red list, but this time it's got this tiny little black splash, kind of just, you know, this drop of black. It's going up to 14 one-drops, adding Lightning Berserker and Foundry Street Zenizen to its rank. That's the uh, goblin that gets a plus one, plus zero every time a, another red creature comes into play. Um, and it looks like it forward, further lowered its curve by cutting the Hordling Outburst, cutting the Stoke of the Flames, and even Lightning Strike. It's only got Wild Slashes, Atarka's Command, Dragon Fodder, and a copy of Shock. Plus... Driven to Despair, a card from uh, Hour of Devastation. This is so hot. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is the this is the version of a Tarkaret I've been waiting to talk about all night. And I definitely think it's it's the premier Atarka list right now. Having the ability to just like pretend to be a controllist and like have four card draw cards in the main board that encourage you to like be aggressive at the same time and then can be recurred to just i mean just dump your opponent's hand at a later stage in the game is just so incredible and one of the great things about Driven to Despair here is he has so many prowess creatures, and it's a double trigger. So that's plus two, plus two to all of his prowess creatures. It's a lot of damage that adds up. Uh, I think, yeah, and I, and it gives them Menace too, which helps go around, uh, for example, Abzan aggro creatures, right? So if they're going to wall off with, like, if they board in Kalidus or, or just have a Rhino on board, you know, if they have things to block with, uh, the Menace is actually very relevant. Uh, the big thing about Driven to Despair in this list is that because Atarka Red does just does so much damage, um, it's almost like a combo kill when you when you cast Driven to Despair because you just get them to discard their hand. And if they're discarding their hand, there's just there's no coming back when you're at like four life because it's turn four and your opponent's playing Atarka Red. So if we're splashing black already in this deck, are there any other black cards you'd want to try out in Dark Atarka? No. 
No, it's it's just a very light splash. Uh, there, what else in black would you really be looking for? Like fatal push isn't really what you want. Your goal with the Tarka Red is just to kill them, stay focused, just kill them. None of this control crap. I think maybe maybe you could make a case for Colgan's command, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm mainly with that. I think that the light black splash for driven despair is probably the right call. I don't think I don't think Colgan's command deals enough damage. I think it's too much mana. Um, and while it is crazy high value, you're just the reality is you're not going to outvalue people on a Tarka Red. You're going to kill them fast, or you're going to lose. So no matter how much value you're packing uh, with cards like Colgan's command. The value, the value part isn't what's going to win you the game. All right. Well, that's looked like a great top three so far. Our number four list was Grixis and Soul. Um, so this is another in Soul artifact deck, but it's a little bit different from what we saw in Japan. It's got that black splash. They're playing uh, Bomat Courier, Hangerback Walker, Scrap Heap Scrounger, Thopter Engineer, Pia and Kirin Alar, and then two of Maverick Thopterist. That's the 2 2 with Improvise for one blue, one red, and three, which makes two Thopters when he comes in. Um, Thanks for reminding me what that does, because I definitely forgot. (laughs) For uh, non-creatures, he's got four Implement of Combustion, two Aethersphere Harvester, four Shrapnel Blast, three Unlicensed Disintegration, which is what that Black Splash is there for, and uh, a couple Metallic Rebuke, plus, of course, the four in Soul and one of Tezzeret's Touch. Uh, But this list has no Ornithopter, no Smuggler's Copter, no Ghostfire Blade, and no Lightning Strike. Can you guys tell me what's going on here? These are some very different choices. Again, I'm not the the master of Insoul myself, so I'm I'm maybe not the most well equipped to handle that question. Uh, I, I do really like the implement of combustion. I think it's creative, and I love the way it pairs with Shrapnel Blast. So that's that uh, one mana artifact, and you can sacrifice it for a red to deal one damage to a creature or to a player. I'm sorry. I think is it. I think it's two damage to a, to a player. Is it not? Are we talking about Shrapnel Blast? We're talking about the uh, implement, no, implement of Combustion. So, oh yeah, wait, that's wait, that card you... that I used in draft in in Kaladesh. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, sorry, it's, it's, kind it's of a when it is when it enters the graveyard, it deals two damage to target player. I believe. No, no, sorry. So it's, you sacrifice wait. it for one red, it deals one damage to just a player. But when it leaves the play, you draw a card from it. Oh, okay. Okay, that's different than I thought it was. I'm glad you corrected me. Yeah, it's a bit of a cantrip. Bit of it's a... really what I see that here, there. What I also see there is an answer to Sahili. Yeah, so I can see how that would combo with Shrapnel Blast as well. Just because, like, being able to, like, forcefully sacrifice it, deal five damage, and does it also deal damage when it leaves the battlefield? Or does it just draw the card when it leaves the battlefield? It just draws the card. Yeah, I, I still think that's really cool. Like, personally, I'm I'm a big fan of, like, turning instants and sorceries into cantrips. Um, I, th- I think it's a great way for aggro decks to get more value out of their decks. And um, I see how that would be appealing to a deck like this. It, it looks laughable at first. Something I also want to bring to attention is the full playset of Hangerback Walkers. Um, a lot of Soul players kind of juggle how many... Hangerback walkers they want to be running, how many um, how many combo pieces that actually turn on artifacts they want to be running. And I think that uh, Hangerback Walker is like right where the deck wants to be. Just because like it both goes tall and goes wide and combos with everything that wants something to be an artifact and continues to get counters on top of that. Like it's it's exactly what the deck wants. So uh, one of th- another reason here for the black is actually the playset of Scrap Heap Scrounger, which is something I really like in Insoul. 
because uh, one of my problems with Insole is there's just so many ways it can go wrong for you. Uh, you know, rem all removal is basically a two for one against you, right? Because you're getting your Insole artifact killed uh, and whatever creature or, or card you put it on. Uh, you know, assuming it's not a dark steel citadel that gotten sold. Sure, but sure, yeah. but there there are things that can go wrong with that too, right? Uh, Reflector Mage is a beating. Uh, there's there's just there's uh, even Dramoka's command. There's there's a lot of ways things can go wrong, and while the best case scenario yeah, definitely is in soling dark steel citadel, uh, it's by no means a foolproof plan. And there are a lot of games where you just you don't see your dark steel. Yeah, definitely. The fact that it's only like a four of, um, I think that this deck did a, a much better job of, like, I think that Dylan's deck does a much better job of responding to the possible things that can go wrong with, uh, with insult. I agree. And a large part of that scrap heap scrounger, just because it's such a pain to get rid of. Totally. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I see with this deck is I think I would have liked some, uh, walking ballistas. Uh, primarily to be able to deal with the Sahili, sorry, Sahili combo a little better. Yeah, I can see that for sure. All right, so that wraps up our top four, four decks. All aggressive. I can kind of see what you mean about the Toronto format being so fast. Um, the rest of the top eight here are three more aggro lists, Just Guy Flyers, Just Guy Burn, and Atarka Red, and then another version of the Sahili combo. So let me quickly go over those lists. Um, that fifth place list, that seventh place list, the Just Guy Flyers by Griffin Russell and the Just Guy Burn by Asha Mills Emmett. I'm going to kind of lump those together here. They're a little bit different, but they're both, you know, Mantis Rider decks. The first one's traditional Just Guy Flyers. It's got Mausoleum Wanderer. It's got Selfless Spirit, Copter, Mantis Rider, Spell Queller, um, pretty much all those four ofs. He cut it down with some removal. He just has Stoke, Lightning Strike as a one-of, and Just Guy Charm as a one-of. So the second list moves away from the creatures somewhat for four Soulscar Mage, three of those Soulfire Grandmaster again we were talking about, a couple Reflector Mage, a couple Copter, and then the Mantis Riders. They bring in much more burn and card draw with Lightning Strike, Fiery Temper, Lightning Axe, a Braid, Sweltering Suns in the main deck, Cathartic Reunion, three Treasure Crews, and finally four Fevered Visions in the main deck. We've seen a few similar decks like this already, but what are Griffin and Asha doing differently? So before we get to what they're doing differently, I think I kind of want to call out that we haven't seen a lot of Jeskai Flyers making top eights in Toronto. And I think the primarily, or sorry, the primary reason is uh, Andrew Oyen. Uh, and I know that sounds silly, uh, but he plays Black Green Scales. And Black Green Scales just really kills this deck. Uh, the ability to just walking Ballista and shoot down all their little X1s, uh, it's backbreaking. Uh, the deck can almost just not handle walking Ballista at all, even outside of a Scales deck. But when you put it into a Scales deck and it's just a huge walking Ballista that doesn't die when it kills things, uh, it really is backbreaking for the archetype Jeskai Flyers. And it, it's a big part of the reason we haven't seen it uh, until now in Toronto, really, which... Uh, is because I believe Andrew Oyen was playing another event at GP Toronto. Yeah, uh, it's it's really interesting because like you've gone into a lot of length when you and I have talked offline about um, like how important a good scales list is to the metagame, and uh, in Untap we don't really have uh, very many like active scales players right now, and so like I've just been kind of picking your brain on that because. I don't really have an experience to speak to 
like how important scales is to the metagame. Uh, for those of you who are unaware with what we're talking about right now, it's uh, a one drop called Hardened Scales. Whenever a uh, whenever a creature would receive a plus one plus one counter, it gets an additional plus one plus one counter. So it synergizes really well with things like Walking Ballista. It gets doubled up by uh, the Green Black Snake. Um, yeah, the Green Black Snake Winding Constrictor. Um, and so there's, it, it's like much more explosive and there's Avatar of the Resolute as well, which is like this super incredible one drop that comes in just gigantically in a lot of cases where like you'll have like hanger back walkers and walking ballistas out and then you'll play for two mana, like an eight, seven. It's just really, really impressive. I don't know if, if, uh, Avatar of the Resolute is really popular in those lists, but, um, it, it was definitely like it is, uh, but with the release of Driven to Despair, I'm I'm finding it the easiest slot to cut. Uh, so usually I end up with some number of Driven to Despair and some number of Avatar, uh, but not the full playset at this point. Cool. I'm glad to hear that that card's still doing really well in that. Um, so yeah, I would I would say like as far as these Jeskai Flyers lists go, um, the 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 one that placed better. Um, I find really interesting uh, the one that Griffin played with four Stoke the Flames. I think that that's a really, really awesome like combination with Mantis Rider just because you have all these Vigilance creatures that you can leave up after combat and then being able to just like with two mana just deal four additional damage is super impressive. Um, and to kind of switch gears into the Asha Mills Emmett list, this is a seventh place list, uh, he's running four mainboard Fevered Visions, which... Firstly, is awesome. Uh, Fevered Vision is a super underrated card. Uh, but secondly, it's a super dangerous thing to do and do a meta full of Atarka Red. Um, granted, we didn't have a lot of Atarka Red um, at that particular tournament. I don't think we had we had a couple lists, but not nothing like we saw in the uh, Japanese lists. Uh, but definitely a risky thing to do into aggro lists. Um, didn't Jeskai Visions do really well in a previous 1K as well? I think it was the May 1K. It did, that you guys but did. it was more of a straight kind of burn list uh, than it was a... Uh, I don't think it was very similar to this list, but I'd have to double back and check it, to be honest with you. I know that the thing that like set it over the top was the use of Soulfire Grandmaster. Yeah. Um, as someone who like gave the deck a couple spins, um, it was just like, wow. If you got Soulfire Grandmaster and some of these other cards, it was just like, all right, I'm going to discard my whole deck, use a bunch of madness, and then like draw it all back with Treasure Cruise. I, I, I so, definitely do I, like Soulfire Grandmaster. Uh, in a visions list specifically backed up by burn because in a visions list you really do need to just you can just have a bunch of burn and just point it straight at their face uh when you're when you're not in a visions list your burn is a little more uh what's the word for it it's a, you have to be a little more careful with it because if they turn around and drop a Kalidus on you you're done you're just done yeah totally. Uh, versus in a visions list you can refuel right uh, so that that's the the big difference I think uh, for being able to run uh, Soulfire Grandmaster and have it good here, whereas I didn't like it in the Japanese list. Yeah, definitely. I, I can definitely see where you're going with that. 
Okay, guys, I'm going to move on. Um, we have one more Tarka list in the top eight. This is a more traditional approach. It's similar to what we saw out of Hariuya. I'm going to kind of skip over that one. That was a sixth place finisher. And then in eighth place, we've got another uh, Jeskai version of the Sahili combo piloted by Trevor accordingly. Um, so this is a strictly three-color version. It's diving in on value creatures. Besides four of the namesake combo, it's got four each of Thraven Inspector, Spell Queller, Reflector Mage, Knight of the White Orchid, the 2-2 first strike who gets you a planes if your opponent has more lands than you. Uh, he also has three each of Whirler Virtuoso and Aether Theorist, which is that blue energy creature that you use energy to scry. And finally, he's got Eldrazi Displacer and Cloud Blazer, the five drop. Um, his only other mainland cards are three stasis. Snacks. Yeah. So, I want to ask you guys a question about this list, actually. What common sideboard card does this list automatically lose to? Um, I would probably say Hush. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Yeah, everything's an enter the battlefield trigger, and it's just really, really unfortunate. And and to deal with those Hushwing Griffs, it only has three Stasis Snare in the whole... That's the only way to deal with it in the whole deck that isn't an Enter the Battlefield effect. I mean, it is, but right. it's not a creature, so um, it's not affected by Hushwing. Yeah, so with the way that Eldrazi Displacer works, it's not a... It's not a blink effect, it's a, it's a flicker effect. So... You can't just like throw their hushwing griff up in the air, then do your thing, then come back down at a later time, yeah. right? Like, uh, and again, this is another testament so, to just how powerful Sahili combo is, uh, where you have suboptimal Sahili lists making top eight. Um, and I think also a good—I don't actually know—did the, did the Abzan lists here run hushwing griff on the sideboard? They must have, right? Let me let me screw. Uh, taking a look here. I mean, Hushman Griff's so good, I imagine. I'm not okay, seeing not in the first, one in the winning list. Yeah, not list. in the winning list. We had yeah. three in the second place list. Um, okay, yeah. But, uh, I, I was gonna say that's probably why we saw the dominance of, uh, Abzan so much, but maybe not, given the first list didn't have Hushman Griff's in it. So there may have been a lack of just the Sahili combo. Yeah, but the first list had, like, a lot of really, really good removal. It's so. true, it's true, yeah. And vehicles, which tend to be harder... And, like, was so aggressive. Yeah, and it had vehicles, which tend to be harder for things like Reflector Mage to hit, which is probably relevant. Definitely, and the fact that, like, the Sahili list on um, Top Cut isn't running a lot of the outvaluing cards. Like, there's there's no ralliers in this list and things of that nature um, that you would get from green uh, means that it can get burned out a little bit more quickly. Granted, like, Cloud Blazer does provide, like, card draw, and Aether Theorist allows you to do selection on your deck with scrying, but um, I, I think that if I was on a Jeskai list, I would be scared of getting outvalued with really, really strong aggro creatures and absent charms. Like, I don't mind this list. It, 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 I, I've seen it play, I saw the guy play it, and when they don't have things like Hushwing Griff, it's scary. Because, like, you just Eldrazi Displacer for just so much value, right? Um Especially once you get that Cloud Blazer going and you just bounce it over and over again. And, and every time you bounce it, it's uh, two cards and two life. That's huge. That is a massive Eldrazi Displacer bounce. Uh, but, but again, the reality is Hushwing Griff is a super common sideboard card. Uh, in particular, in Abzan lists, which 
are a format staple of T1. Uh, it has Abzan Agro has no bad matchups, so it's just to play this list and expect not to run into Abzan Agro just seems like a, a real long shot to me. Yeah, it seems like a fool's errand. I agree, um, but it's really impressive how far the list got and like that um, that the player decided to run a vanilla Jeskai list, which sounds really like weird to call like a three color list vanilla. But, like, I think that when you're going with no green or no black, like, you're really just leaning so hard on the combo and really, really hard on value creatures and flame tongue kavus. Flame tongue kavu? Yeah, flame tongue kavu is how I refer to any creature that hasn't entered the battlefield. Oh, okay. Um, I can't remember what set it was from, but it's a four drop that deals three. Yeah, yeah, I remember remember the four drop. Um, I just, I, I... I didn't connect that it was just enter the battlefield for you. You'll hear me say that a lot more often now. All right, now we're all on the same page, so it's okay. All right, so the last thing I wanted to wrap up our our show list with is I want to talk just a little bit about Exelon spoilers. We'll probably end up devoting a whole episode to this, but, you know, I want to be able to... Everyone's excited about these new changes that might hit on from the pier. So um, we've all heard about the leaks. That was a while ago. Now we've got some actual spoilers coming out. So I want... Uh, the one thing I really want to come and talk about was this new Jace card, the Jace Planeswalker card. Uh, Jace, the cunning castaway for one and two blue. It's a legendary Planeswalker Jace. Do you guys want to talk about what that means? This is a really interesting card to me, um, mostly because when I take a look at it, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with it. I don't know like what your guys' takes on it are, but like having to have creatures on board is really strange for a planeswalker, I think, especially since, like, it's a planeswalker that wants you to be doing combat, doesn't have any way of, like, boosting power or toughness, so it doesn't, like, encourage combat other than, like, hey, it turns your attacks into smuggler's copter effects, so... This is the worst planeswalker in Frontier. It's terrible. The, The problem is the ceiling on it is just so low. It doesn't really do anything unique or abusable. It, there's just no real upside, you know? Um, looting is all right, but it's not really what I want out of a three-mana Planeswalker. There's so many ways to loot in this format. There really are. And especially having it... Not only is it uh, your way to loot, but it's conditional. And when you fulfill that condition, it means you don't have a blocker back to defend this Jace. Uh, I also, so Jace didn't didn't impress you too much, but can you talk about his uh, type line? He is a legendary Planeswalker Jace. Um, can you talk about what that means for Frontier, the change in the Planeswalker uniqueness rule? So, yeah, so I definitely... Sorry, you go ahead, man. But you know what? You go first. Uh, mine's, mine's a little bit more of a bomb. So I think that, like... The fact that they chose Jace to demonstrate, like, specifically this card to demonstrate, like, hey, this is how Planeswalkers are going to work now is perfect, right? Like, the ultimate demonstrates, like, hey, now you can have two Planeswalkers that aren't legendary and they can be the same and there's no Planeswalker uniqueness rule and this is the card that, like, very much breaks that and says, like, you know, this is how the game's going to work now, right? And, like, for those purposes, I see, like, why they chose to do it this way. Um, I think that there are some Planeswalkers in this format that very much more, like, want 
that rule to be in effect. I know Matt's like itching, itching to talk about Gideon right now, so I'm just going to let him go. <laughs> so the thing about talking about Gideon right now is I'm actually going to be talking about Sahili. Um, oh. The biggest thing about this is that I think, especially, let me say I love this change philosophically, um, but I think specifically to the Frontier format, it's problematic. Uh, and the main reason for that is that Sahili is already bordering on too good. And in my opinion, I know not a planeswalkers. Yes, yes. Specifically, Sahili wants to play planeswalkers and force you to overextend and defumigate. Um, I don't know if you guys have played against Gideon, but I can't think of a better planeswalker setup than curving uh, three mana Gideon into daddy Gideon in, for forcing you to overextend into a fumigate. It's just. I think that's going to be the way of Sahili in the future, and I think it's going to push Sahili into tier zero. Yeah, I think that you might be right. Like, I definitely see, like, Gideon's edging out a lot of the other Planeswalkers that we've seen. We've seen Chandra trying to kind of vie for that spot as, like, Planeswalker buddy. We've seen Nissa doing really well, um, specifically the five-mana Nissa. Um, and I think that that kind of keeps a slot, but I think that Gideon's probably going to edge out Nahiri and Chandra and be the Planeswalker that Sahili has always wanted to hang out. Yeah, I think it's just the reality of, of dropping three mana Gideon on three, four mana Gideon on four, and basically just saying, come at me, but also don't tap out, because if you do, you lose. Um, it, it, you can't really beat those cards, especially pairing the two of them together without tapping out. It's just, you're not going to do it, and if you do tap out, Sahili can just combo you. And yeah, like... Not having... just that, but even if... Sorry, go, go ahead. Having Gideon in the sideboard plan for Sahili already felt really, really strong. Having multiple Gideon seems... Yeah, and I think the biggest thing about it is it allows the deck to just play a fair game if it wants to, right? Um, because the reality of just having as many Fumigates and ways to recur Fumigate as they do, it basically just means it's a matter of time before you get Fumigated off the board. Um, and having two Gideons on the field when that happens, it means they're going to hit you for nine every turn. And you can't really stop it because Planeswalkers are really hard to interact with unless you have creatures. And you don't have any creatures because Sahili's going to fumigate you over and over and over. Cool. Um, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in our uh, in our set review of Ixalan, but for now I think it's probably time to put the subject to bed. Yeah, and I think it's uh, time for us to go to bed as well. I'm going to bring us to the end of our show here. I want to thank you guys once again. This has been a really awesome show, and we're just running out of time here. Um, this was just our first episode, but we're going to be back with more content soon so we can spend as much time as possible talking about Frontier. Um, one last time, I want to shout out about the Toronto Showdown. Possibly just a couple days after we air this, it should be going on. So the Sunday, the I believe that is the 10th. Um, so we want to just keep talking about Frontier as much as possible, and that's why we'll be back to you soon. So a big thank you to any listeners out there and to my two experts, Matt and Kevin. I look forward to maybe hosting you two again soon for some more great Frontier discussion, including Ixalan spoilers, some scary brews, sideboarding strategies, uh, the online Frontier Leagues, 
um, up-to-date tournament results, and more. Let us know your thoughts and comments on the show, plus any lists or cards that you'd like us to cover. For everyone out there, we look forward to being your go-to source for Frontier format information online. Your final Frontier. And signing off. Experts, you want to say goodbye as well? Yeah, um, I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and I would also like to mention that our signups for the Untap Open League Season 2 will be available in the show notes. Um, that's coming up on September 10th, and we'd love to see more participation in that. It's an open league, and there's no entry fee required, and we'd love to see more faces there. Thanks for joining us, everyone. It's been great, uh, and I hope to see as many of you as possible at Faces Showdown on September 10th. Have a great one.